Hi, and welcome to Intercom on Product. With myself, Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, and Paul Adams, who's our Senior Vice President of Product. Over the time we've worked together, Paul and I have had countless conversations about things like how to run a product org at scale, how to balance customer feedback on your product roadmap, how to spread a product-first mentality throughout a company, how to maintain design excellence in a fast-growing R&D team, and so much more. In this series, we're going to begin sharing some of these discussions with you on a regular basis, covering everything from industry trends, what's hot right now, all the way through to things like how are we embracing the rise of automation. So if you're a designer, product manager, engineer, researcher, or anything in between, we think you'll find these conversations really valuable. You can subscribe to Intercom on Product on iTunes, you can stream it on Spotify, or even just grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Intercom on Product Episode 9. Today we're going to talk about speed, not the drug, but <laughs> the idea that your company needs to move fast. Paul Graham once wrote that a startup is a company that is designed to grow fast, and the fast bit is what's most important. I'm joined by Paul Adams, our SVP of product. Hi, Paul. Hello there, Des. Paul, let's talk about speed. One of the guiding principles in Intercom is simply thus, make every day count. Why? Yeah, it's a great value and principle. We've used it in both ways. The value being every day counts, and the principle being make every day count. And when I explain this to people, I often uh, tell the following story. Uh, when every employee of Intercom comes up the elevator or a lift, if you're here in Ireland or in the UK, the UK. <laughs> um, but when you come up the, up the floors to work and go into the office, you can be in very different states of mind. And make every day count is state of mind, in my opinion. And that is that you're going into work, you know exactly what you're going to do that day, you know what a good day looks like, you have goals for that day. And at the end of the day, you kind of reflect on that state of mind and that place you were in, whatever, eight hours before, and decide whether you had a good day or not. And that should inform how you feel the next morning going into work. Is there a tension there like that you think day to day or how do you build up from that? Like, Yeah, talk about what we have here at Intercom. We have a whole goals framework. We're big, big, big into goals. I'm personally also big into goals. I really believe in them. I think that any time in my life personally that I've had goals written down, whether it's like personal goals or professional goals, I've just tended to be better and Mm -hmm. achieve more. Uh, So we're big into goals. We have goals at lots of different time frames. We have annual goals. We have quarterly goals that uh, I'm sure most listeners out there have. We have cycle goals. So in our product engineering team, we work in six-week cycles. So we split the quarter into two. Mm -hmm. So we have cycle goals every six weeks, then weekly goals, and then daily goals. And can you describe maybe what is a goal in that regard? Is it achieve something, ship something, do something? What's like? What's the makeup of a goal? The way that I think about these goals is, well, first of all, that they're smart goals using a smart framework. So right. if people aren't familiar with this, obviously you have good goals and bad goals. And the smart framework is a really useful way to set good goals. And that is that a goal is specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Mm-hmm. And so the goals themselves, we would hope are always smart goals. They, they're good yeah. goals. But it can be about different things depending on yeah. what the team is working on or the person's working on. So it might be ship something, it might be achieve a milestone. You know, a designer, for example, might have a milestone around some design thing that they're trying to get done in a certain space of time. The goals should always connect. This is a kind of relevant piece. Like all these goals aren't individual goals. They yeah. all add up to a big picture. So the team would have weekly goals. Typically, the people on the team have daily goals. And then in aggregation, yeah. it all adds up and they hopefully achieve what they set out to. So we follow like, every intercomrade has some sense of what they're trying to achieve every day. And that's that's kind of the essence of make every day count. Yeah. In a sense, like uh, 
I want to say it sounds like easy, like uh, why wouldn't you work this way? And yet at the same time, I do know like a lot of people would join Intercom and like, I don't want to be like self-complimentary here. Uh, maybe just, let's just say join a startup and they find themselves kind of somewhat like shocked by this, the speed of execution. Yep. Um, why is it that like when that happens, like, what's going on in larger companies you think that actually that makes this not the case? I'm sure they're, they're no stranger to an OKR framework or something like that in larger companies too. Yeah, there's a lot to this because you kind of start tipping into culture here as well. You know, intercom, people that do join typically say that it is very fast mm -hmm. and they, they kind of come in going like, geez, I thought it was going to be fast, but it is very fast here. Mm -hmm. But that brings alongside an intensity too, mm -hmm. you know, and so everyday count is the idea that you work hard in a yeah. focused way with goals. Yeah. Again, like literally you make every single day count and mm -hmm. if every single person on every single team makes every single day count, mm -hmm. the results you will get are incredible. Yeah. But people should then also go home, you yeah. know, and not work crazy hours. And so what I see often when I go visit other companies that friends work in or colleagues work in, yeah. they could be like big institutions like banks yeah. or even other startups. People don't have that focus. Right. So like I've often been in startups, I'm sure you have too, where like, People honestly just like screw around all day. Yeah. You know, they're not focused, they're not thinking about goals, they're yeah. not thinking about a good day, they're not thinking about going home at a reasonable hour. They're yeah. just honestly like messing around, you know, playing table tennis and yeah. like all this random shit. And it's funny, like I am um, like we could easily do so many different ways and there's so many different Twitter wars we'd accidentally tiptoe into it with this topic. Probably have. We yeah, I'm 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 certain we have in some sense. I don't have any contrarian opinion here, but I do think that like hard work matters. I do think that lots of work matters. But I do also think that like doing lots of errors is often used as a cloak to hide the fact that you're not getting a lot of shit done. Right. And I think that's where like uh, that's where like work life balance and stuff like that really suffers because like one of the best definitions of burnout that I see frequently is like is when like the work that you're doing doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you you know, and like so it's not even like when you describe people like goofing around at startups. Like you might be tempted to think that they're just reading Hacker News all day or like yeah. you're just talking to their friends on WhatsApp or whatever. But actually, equally meaningless work could be like designing something that's probably never going to ship that's not really that important for the company, but like spending a lot of time trying to get it done and working in the office till nine on something that realistically no one really cares about. It's like everyone's P3 mm -hmm. and there's a P0 project that's actually high impact. Uh, and I think like that's, that's the aspect of focus that gets missed whenever people say like, you know, one of our values is... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll get the exact framing wrong, but I think it's like uh, we value people who work hard or stay focused with a sense of urgency. Yep. And the wrong way to read that is that we're like doing these like 70, 80 hour weeks all the time. It's like, it's, it's not at all about that, but it's not like a, the phrase, I think it was like Muhammad Ali or somebody who said, it, it's not about counting the errors, it's about making the errors count. And I think that's the piece I've always indexed on is just how do we make sure that when you choose to work, you're set up to work really, really impactfully. And, uh, and I think people don't obsess about that as, as much. And if we brought in a bunch of like bean counters from like a McKinsey type to analyze like performance or productivity, mm -hmm. they'd, they'd probably look at things like the door fob swipes or something like, how many hours yeah, yeah. is the average employee spent at their desk? And it's actually not that. It's like when they're at their desk, do they have everything they need around them to move without friction? And I think that's like, if I could choose to like get an extra 10% of time output or 10% of quality output from anyone in Intercom, I'd take the quality eight days a mm -hmm. week. You know, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. even ask them to do eight days a week, to be clear. We actually work five <laughs> days a week while we're on this topic. Um, yeah. Talk yeah. about like, well, sometimes the best way to, do, to think about the ingredients of something is to work at what the opposite environment is. So mm -hmm. like if you had to make a team work really, really badly and slowly and inefficiently, and I know you have probably seen or observed throughout your career teams in that pattern, 
what are the ingredients of a shit team or a, sorry, not a shit team, but like a shit setup for a, for a good team? Yeah. Like how, how do you get them slow? Yeah. Yeah. Lo- loads of ways. It's very easy, actually. Before I get into that, one, one, one quick thing that's kind of interesting to me is something someone said to me uh, recently. I was talking to them here about everyday counts, mm-hmm. make everyday count, this idea that it's a state of mind. They were saying to me, like, hey, hang on a second. All of our product engineering teams have daily stand-ups mm-hmm. with goals. Mm-hmm. Surely by definition, that means that they make every single day count. And I'm like, yeah, no, wrong. it's a state of mind. Yeah. Like those people can like come up the lift or elevator, meander in, yeah. you know, meander into yeah. the stand-up. What's yeah. going on? Oh yeah, what my goal is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, yeah. back to their desk, go for a coffee. Like it's a state of mind. It's like yeah. walking with purpose to the stand-up. Boom, here's my goal. Here's what's going to happen. I guess it's the kind of like intensity. Mm-hmm. But it's very, you know, very positive intensity. And then, yeah. you know, like like you said, we work here very normal hours, Monday to Friday, yeah. you know, eight hours a day, nine hours a day. And people do not work at weekends here at all. Uh, you know, obviously our support team do and, and so on. But yeah. generally the product engineering teams don't. Um, but so the, And you leave the intensity behind and you go on about your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the state of mind thing is really important for people to kind of, consider it's not you know the symptoms and these kind of things and causes are are, are quite important to play out yeah and then in terms to answer your question directly like as you were talking there like one of the things that struck me is like uh, a lot of this starts at the top and comes from Mm -hmm. the top so like the first way and you kind of alluded to a lot of this already the first way to get people to move slow is to give them a shite strategy or no strategy or like unclear goals or at the strategic level and so people i had this in lots of my career prior to intercom honestly where you just you're going around in circles. Yeah, like you're, you're, working you're dropped hard. in the desert and told run fast, and you're like, which way? You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just don't know where you're going. You don't know what the outcome is. Like, uh, and you yeah. can t- sense that some people in the company just don't really think what you're doing is important. Yeah, you know. And so, strategy is a big one. Like an mm-hmm. unclear strategy is one of the kind of prerequisites to moving fast. I yeah. think you must have a sharp, incisive, clear strategy, yeah. and that has to go all the way down. Like the company, yeah. like on the podcast before, we've talked about the company strategy, yeah. the product strategy. Right, you can get down into like the team levels and they could have their own strategy and all the stuff should connect together. Yeah. Down into the goals and the goals should reflect the strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole it should be a system that just connects right from top to bottom. That's mm-hmm. the kind of first thing that came to mind as you were talking there. What would you add to that? I think like strategy is a huge piece. I think like any flip flopping on like sort of direction is like really yeah. like people ignore how painful that is. And that's not to say like when new information comes and it changes your thinking. Uh, that's totally fine. You have to change your direction, right? Ideally, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a strategy where it's like you know, kind of changes with the wind every time you read a new tweet or whatever, right? Yeah. But I think something I see, even at times internally, but certainly in other, in other companies, whenever like we justify a change, you do actually you accumulate a lot of cost of swirl. Like it's almost like we've been running fast in this direction there after changing the direction, and like some of the decisions we made along the way are now not, no longer valid. Like almost when you want to make a significant change, mm-hmm. you almost need to do a form of like retrospective archaeology of like, hey, if we hadn't known this all along, would we definitely have still started engineering this way? Would we have built this feature in that way? And sometimes you need to go back to root and be like, all right, turns out our last seven assumptions were wrong based on what we think we know now. So I, I, I think like any sort of flip-flopping there is quite expensive. Another thing I think is like people don't interrogate enough is like principles and processes. Like we've talked about principles and processes a lot. We've like, yeah. We're like riddled with the things, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, I think they all have to like, thing for their supper and if if you're carrying one of these things along like oh well the, we have this old ritual where we do blah or like you're not allowed to do x until you do y or whatever mm-hmm. all of those things are like scar tissue or whatever they're baggage and the only reason they're worth 
their salt and are worth their weight in salt is if they actually guarantee you a level of consistency such that you can continue to move fast because you can depend on things happening or if they speed you up. But um, when I reference like the bureaucratic treadmill that like other people will end up on in larger companies, it's one of those like the mythical TPS reports of the office space movie or whatever. It's like, hey, there's a load of things I need to do, but first I have to do this other whole heap of meta space things, like which are like not valuable, but they're things you do as part of trying to get things done, right? Yeah. And I do like I I frequently try to interrogate like what's going on if we have principles or processes that people don't believe in. And the best sign you can find that they don't believe in them is they don't do them. Right. Or they work around them or they give them lip service, right? Yeah. You, you chase down, like we have a, a document called an intermission, which is how you begin every project. And, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a, like a written culture where you try to communicate what you're starting to do at the start of every project. And as occasionally we'll find, hey, like people have stopped filling out the section on whatever it could be. It could mm-hmm. be like, what's the story to, the, to our customers? What's the story to the press? Yeah. What's the revenue impact? But whenever people stop doing it, and you're assuming the best intent that like this is a good person, a good PM, a good EM, whatever, then you have to assume the process isn't worth doing. Mm -hmm. That's the only alternative. But I do think there's like processes and principles, they enter this sort of like uh, haloed land where like no one wants to, because if I want to question everyday accounts, I'm actually questioning our SVP of product, Mr. Paul Adams. How dare I, <laughs> right? And if, But at the same time, if you're like Joey Bag of Donuts, new engineer walking in here, and you're like, this whole thing makes no sense. I have a much faster way to get shit done. Yeah. Uh, I want you to question Paul Adams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he wants it too, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I do think like it's very easy for like, the point here at boss analysis to be like, we all need to work harder, crack the whip more or whatever. But actually, maybe you just haven't set them up for speed. Maybe it's bad principles, bad processes, potentially bad other people. Maybe it's collaborative bottlenecks that you haven't acknowledged. Maybe you're incentivizing people the wrong way. Maybe mm-hmm. you've taught you've taught people, the way you have most impact for your company is to do this, but the way you get promoted is to do this other thing. And if those two things aren't the same thing, that's a real big problem. You'd be shocked how often that happens though. I, I'm trying to think of other examples. Like I'd say like, there's a lot of like, I want to call it like low hanging fruit around this that I think our listeners would be way more familiar with, especially if they're in a smaller company. Like, yes, having a design pattern library helps mm-hmm. because it means you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we want to come up with a new Salesforce integration. Yeah. Yes, having like a velocity risk register helps. And actually we should probably get our engineers to talk more about this. But this is our engineers document anything that is basically slows them down from getting code to production. Anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, any like literally we measure things in seconds as to like when you're ready to go, how long before it hits production? And we have like, oh, is it the test suite? Is it this? Is it Amazon? What is it? Right. Uh, all of our technical setups. So they're all like the ingredients of shit that will just slow you down. Yeah. And every single one of them is kind of worthy of investigation because I think there's so much low-hanging fruit that people otherwise accept. You know, it, it is dangerous to just assume that the company's perfect and it's the people that aren't working fast enough. It's almost always the other way around. If you're hiring good people, which generally you like to think you are. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. When you were talking there about principles and process, one thing that struck me was, you know, like what is speed about mm-hmm. or what, you know, to your earlier question, like how, how do you generate speed? And at some level you could say like it's just decision making basically. Mm-hmm. And then the question is like what do people have to make decisions about? Mm-hmm. And the, the best thing or one of the best things about having a great set of principles, mm-hmm. which I'll get into more in a second, and a great process is that it takes away a lot of decision making. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, we want people just to be making decisions about the product, yeah. right? The thing we're making, yeah. not about like, how do we do this? And mm-hmm. you know, if people have better, like you say, if people have better ideas, we 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 try and encode, encode them. But you want people making decisions about the product and not having to think about like all the stuff mm-hmm. that surrounds it. And one of the the big things, you know, that we're kind of thinking a little bit about internally at the minute around our principles and process. 
Again, like a principle being, you know, the way, the way we generate our principles is that we take what we've learned over the course of the years and we see successes, we see failures, and we try and encode the successes yeah. to repeat them and then avoid the failures, try and encode them in a principle that we can then teach to people. Mm-hmm. And the process is simply a set of steps, you know, taken in a sequence that helps people follow the principles. But you have to also understand that, you know, time moves on and you start to learn more th- things and you start to have to revisit these principles, revisit this process and then encode the new learnings into mm-hmm. it. So there is, a, there is a balance here. But for the most part, what we would want people to do is, you know, if they're like at, at like a certain, we have like nine stages yeah. in our process. And if they're at, you know, stage four, which is like clearly documented, here's how it works. You don't want them thinking about it, and mm-hmm. you know, like interrogating it. You just want them to like do it. Which, by the way, for the most part, if people buy into the principles, is win-win. Mm-hmm. You know, people would much prefer to talk about the work. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but... For every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. How do you think about the ROI of a principle or a process? Like, how, when's it worth keeping? Like, I, I was trying to work out what's the, what's the calculus around it. It's kind of like, is it like, the cost of this going wrong is pretty high, therefore it's worth inserting a step. Like every step and every principle, if we ask people to follow it, they all cost something, right? Nothing's mm-hmm. free in this world. Yeah. So if we have a stage called show your designs to our design director or whatever, that costs us time. Yeah. That's like at least at half an hour on a calendar. It's going to slow you down, right? Yeah. So why do it? Well, it's what stops substandard design going live or variant design, like design that doesn't follow brand guidelines or something like that, right? Yeah. But like, how do we think about, is that worth it? And do you, like, is it, are we trying to limit, like maximize upside, limit downside? How do you think yeah. about it? Like, when, I mean, when you're yeah. in the middle of this right now, like you're going to delete some processes and probably add some processes. Yeah. What's, what, what's the decision making there? Uh, I like this art and science to this. I'm not going to pretend there's some kind of like hard coded or like, you know, hardened mathematical way to do it. The design director thing's interesting. So, you know, like, and by the way, like our stages are kind of, you know, higher level than that. But if there was a mm-hmm. thing that said, hey, at this point in time, you must go to your yeah. design director as a designer, show yeah. them your work, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, the, the reason that we would do that is because we've learned somehow that that's yeah. the right thing to do at the right time. So yeah. there's kind of two dimensions at play. One is time, like yeah. as a project 
goes along, moves along in time, it, yeah. the type of work changes. You get yeah. into the details and like unknowns move into knowns or whatever. But then there's like Zoom level. So like there's yeah. like up and down. So from designer to design manager to design mm-hmm. director to like whatever VP. And so you got to get the right, you got to like marry the right Zoom level with the right mm-hmm. time frame. And so, you know, and I'm sure most people would agree with this. You don't want the design director reviewing the design work late in the process. Right, right. That, that because then you get back into some of the stuff you yeah. were talking about at the beginning, which is like flip-flopping. major, yeah, flip flopping, yeah. major yeah. course correction. Yeah. So you're trying to uh, again like encode what you've learned about things like flip flopping yeah. into the process, so that the right things happen at the right time. So the decision there, it sounds like, and I know you, I know you're giving me the whole art and science lark, which to me usually just says, "Don't ask me for any science." But um, <laughs> like the 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 scientific part, you maybe are appealing to there is actually the relatively low cost of a quick check-in with the design director versus the relatively high cost times whatever the probability is of it going wrong, yeah. the trade-off is worth it, right? Like as in, yeah. if we don't do this, there's a small chance that we lose a month. Yeah. If we do do it, there's a guaranteed chance that we lose a half an hour. Yeah, And you'll take the guaranteed loss of half an hour over the marginal chance of the month, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Iron sensing is interesting because I actually think that um, I just I, I have a bugbear with that phrase because whenever someone hits me with art and yeah, science, yeah, I'm no, like, right, so you, don't, you don't really want to justify what you're doing. That's what you said it to, like, Dad, know, please yeah. don't ask me that. <laughs> it's kind of funny though now that we are that, now that we're on it because I actually think our principles and process and how we've come around them is actually quite scientific. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the classic, you know, the way you kind of prove anything. You kind of like uh, you know make observations and then yeah. synthesize what you see and you know deduce patterns from that and then try and yeah. apply some. Thing that will make you yeah. utilize those patterns in the future, and so all of our principles and all of our process is based on observation. Yeah. It's based on like a dedicate a dedication to learning, yeah. um, and this new kind of go around we're kind of in the midst of now, which is like, hey, let's have a rethink. Which is, you know, I've said I've said to, to the team, okay, this is like evolution, not revolution. We're not yeah. going to like radically change things, but we do need to evolve a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's based on observations, yeah. and you know, Lauren and our PM team, who's driving this at the minute, is interviewing people. Yeah. She's surveying people. You know, the, so the, the it is actually interestingly that kind of quite scientific now that we're on it. Here's like a, a Scorpy take, let's say. Yeah. You introduce process to work around the variance in people. So if you've got like lots of people who are at an extreme spectrum of ability, you'll have to do lots of process. If mm-hmm. all your team are just A players, uh, you need less process, right? This, this, yeah. Some amount of that feels like it's true. Like, as in, we don't have a principle called or a process called. It's really important at this stage in the, in the product that we don't do shit work, right? Like, you know, yeah. generally speaking, we try to believe people are doing good work. Yeah. Uh, when you, how do you distinguish between something that's worth a conversation with an individual to say that's substandard versus something that's worth saying, hey, we actually need to tell everyone about this, right? And I mean, let's processize it so it never happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean these are like these are big questions. The the another way to kind of think about this this space is that you're minimizing risk. Mm-hmm. You know, like principles and process exist to minimize risk. Yeah, and you know what's risky? Oh, like people going off track. Like mm-hmm. you know, bad people doing bad work. Oh, yeah. we hired the wrong person. They're yeah. not for us. You know, yeah. all sorts of myriad things. So like I don't, you know, I don't really know how to answer that question. For the most part, it's here like on a case by case basis. Yeah. There's a lot of judgment required. Like if if someone like doesn't follow a stage correctly, like let's yeah. just continue the designer yeah. example. Like you know, if a designer does some bad work, there's a whole host of reasons why they might have yeah. done bad work. Like yeah. for a start, we mightn't have taught them well. Yeah. Hey, here's how we think about this stage. Here's what's expected. Here's what good looks like. Mm-hmm. And these these are actually real things that come up. So, for example, we have one of our principles is think big, start small. Mm-hmm. And for think big, like you mentioned, intermission is our project mm-hmm. brief. We actually call things everything inter inter concept is our think big. So. 
you know, conceptual design. I'm sure lots of people are familiar with it. You kind of think big, design some kind of concept car. And the thing that constantly comes up is how big is big? Mm-hmm. And unless we teach people well, and we've done that well and poorly over the years, unless we teach people well, here's how to think big. Here's, here's too big. Mm-hmm. Here's not big enough. With real examples from real projects, unless they've been taught well, well, of course yeah. they're not set up to succeed. Yeah. So, you know, and people, someone else could have been taught really well and, then, and they, just, they yeah. just can't do it. That's, I, I guess what I'm trying to avoid is like, and a, a lot of our listeners will, will be familiar with this, is like that you scar on every single cut. Like yeah. every time something goes wrong, new principle, new process. And then you end up with like employee onboarding pays the cost because it's like, welcome to Intercom, please read these seven epic tomes, yeah. each the length of a, like, of a Game of Thrones style book or whatever, all about how not to make mistakes. Yeah, you know, and uh, by the end, like you know, I think if like if you close the error bars in so tight, the probability of anyone doing anything good goes away pretty well as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things. You know, I, I'm kind of drifting off into all sorts of spaces here, but um, another as you talk there as well, another thing that strikes me about this is, uh, you know, we believe in like a growth mindset that people yeah. can grow and learn, and and everyone really can come in the door and like yeah. adapt and change, and we give yeah. everyone that license to do so. But what comes, you know, it, it, and this is like kind of like the kind of du jour, you know, t- topic du jour of our times, like growth mindsets and open, transparent organizations, et cetera. But the flip side of this is if you really believe in growth mindset, you have to be quite resilient mm-hmm. because you're right. Like, you know, you kind of scar every time. Like if you're constantly getting feedback about how to work, how these principles work, what's right, what's wrong, not this, this, this is big, that's too big, that's too small. Yeah. yeah you need to be incredibly resilient to mm-hmm. embrace all those things. So yeah. there is certainly like interesting dynamics at play where the process and the principles can go too far. Yeah, I think so. And and like, that's why the way in which it goes too far is it starts to, it starts to defeat its own purpose, right? Yeah. So like if you're a 10 person company right now, you've like maybe 2,200 person days in a yeah. year. And we're saying you have to make every single one of them count. Yeah. However, if you think of like, say, how often does this process get applied? Let's say it's design, review, create, product form, whatever. Each of those is going to be what? It's like an hour a week for an hour a week for like what? 10 people. Okay. So that's 10 hours a week mm-hmm. times 50, right? You start to start handing back all of the so-called efficiency gains you make. You hand back in terms of processizing the shit out of your product process. Yeah. Or like the manner in which you get stuff into the hands of your customers. And I think, um, Whilst I'm all in and you're all in on principles and process, and we're all in on make every day count, we have to recognize there is a kind of a tension there. And uh, and like every principle, every process needs to like earn its keep. It needs to actually be something that speeds you up and certainly never something that is actually net negative. Mm. And that's the thing I'd be most paranoid about. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to connect some of the kind of threads that we've just crossed over the last while. One thing that is uh, really, really fascinating to me always is what do people talk about? Mm-hmm. Right, the, like asking yourself the question, what do my team talk about? When I'm not there, or even when their managers and they're like, what do people mm-hmm. talk about? And it comes back to the idea that like speed is decision making. Mm-hmm. So like how fast can you make decisions? And then what do people talk about actually also directly impacts how fast you make decisions. If people are talking about the process, mm-hmm. then they're not making decisions. Yeah. And worst case, if people are talking about the process in a negative light, yeah. like it's one thing to say, Oh my, I really don't understand this process. Help me. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not making decisions. So they're slower. So the education is really important. But then, like, worst case scenario is that they're talking about how the process is shit or doesn't work yeah. or they're being forced to do or how it. How do you subvert it or whatever? Right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, to your question, like, how do you know if it's working earlier? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is you need to learn what people are talking about. Like, it's almost, yeah, I think it's that combined with like, 
I, I really do think it's worthwhile instrumenting the processes to see how often they're applied to make sure that it's really worth it. Because it's easy to sort of say, sure, let's let's agree. Step 14 is definitely going to be a check in with Des, right? Yeah. But when you realize step 14 times, like whatever, we, we want to have like 600 like software projects in a year. Mm-hmm. It's a shitload of time. Yeah. And the fact that it doesn't happen instantly either. It's going to yeah. be like the whole team is really blocked until Des's calendar is freed up. Like there's so many like, hidden costs to these things yeah. that like that's why they need to be really good and yeah. really, really solid. Anyway, yeah. we better leave it there. This has been Intercom and Product and we'll see you all next month. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Intercom on Product podcast. For more content, go to our blog at intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or Stitcher.